Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. As 2021 is quickly coming to a close, we shift focus to the year ahead and what the market and macro environment might have in store. Our conversation today will also outline expectations for the first half of the new year and how to think about positioning your portfolio accordingly. Uh, Joining us for the conversation today, glad to welcome back to Top of the Morning, Jason Dreho, Head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So, Jason, great to be with you as always. Hope you had a nice weekend. Uh, thank you for joining us here this morning and looking forward to our conversation. Thank you, Dan. It's great to be here. So, Jason, I know the Chief Investment Office just released its year-ahead outlook, which has been coined a year of discovery. Though, before, Jason, we discuss the outlook, maybe we can begin by reflecting on 2021. So, Jason, how did market macro conditions evolve relative to expectations from the Chief Investment Office a year ago? It was about a year ago that we would have published our 2021 outlook, uh, and the world was certainly a little bit different back then. So there's certain things that we were able to kind of got right in terms of our forecast for this year. You know, we expected the pandemic to moderate due to the vaccine rollout because at that point in time, we'd gotten positive news on the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. So that sort of played out as kind of expected. Uh, we expected stocks to be able to move higher as a result as uh, the economy continued to open up. And that certainly has played out this year. We also expected, you know, commodity prices and oil specifically to move quite a bit higher. And that's, uh, that's also played out. Um, so those things we kind of got right. I think what we maybe underestimated was the strength in the kind of the growth and certainly the U.S. And I think partly that was due to, you know, maybe underestimating how much additional fiscal stimulus we would get at the end of last year and also in March of this year. Um, but especially I think we underestimated, uh, as did many people, how you know high inflation would get and how sort of persistent it's proven to be throughout the year. Um, as a result, that's both this kind of better growth and better inflation, or at least higher growth and higher inflation, has contributed to bond yields moving up more than we anticipated. Um, you know, this time last year, the 10-year Treasury yield was around 60 to 70 basis points, so we're almost one full percentage point higher. We expected it to move upwards, but not quite as much as this. Um, and again, because of the stronger U.S. growth, inflation, and bond yield, it led to more dollar strengthening than we anticipated. So direction we thought, you know, we kind of got the, you know, the calls right. I think the magnitude of some of the strengths in growth, inflation, and rates, uh, we underestimated. At least we can say that with hindsight. Jason, thank you for that recap. So now that we have a better understanding as to how we got to where we are today, perhaps now we can turn our focus to the year ahead, 2022. And as I mentioned, the Chief Investment Office has characterized the year ahead as a year of discovery. So Jason, what is the meaning behind that characterization? And how do you anticipate that the market macro environment will play out over the course of the first half of 2022? Well, my summary of just you know, what uh, 2021 was like versus our expectations, I think provides the context for the theme that we have for next year, which is this year of discovery. And so it kind of comes down to sort of figuring out what normal looks like and hopefully sort of post-pandemic world. You know, growth, inflation, as I mentioned, were highly expected. So the question then becomes, like, well, what does sort of normal inflation look like in this kind of post-pandemic world? What does a labor market that is look like in terms of people coming back to the labor force look like? Then what is the policy response in light of all this sort of normalization? So that's, you know, kind of we're discovering all that, figuring out it's kind of the, the storyline for next year. Uh, we think it's going to be a story of essentially two halves. 
So continued both, you know, strong growth above trend in the first half, as well as inflation that stays elevated, certainly through the first quarter, before it starts to kind of normalize in the second half towards kind of long-term like long-term levels of, of inflation. Uh, we do think inflation will moderate as the year goes on, um, starting you know in the second quarter as we get sort of the benefit of year-over-year effects leading to lower inflation. Uh, we think as a result, it's going to allow the Fed to stay you know, somewhat on hold. Uh, continue to taper, but you know rate hikes, you know are unless the sort of materialize until later in 2022, as opposed to some people who are now forecasting in, in rate hikes as soon as in June of next year. So we don't think that's going to play out. Um, and then if you look at sort of what our view is, and sort of look at where a lot of other investors here coming out with their outlook for next year, you know where we sort of differ. In some sense, the you know there's only two real camps that exist among you know a broad group of investors, and it really distills down to you know, do you believe inflation will prove to be ultimately kind of transitory or moderate, you know, throughout next year, moderate, you know, significantly back towards sort of the Fed target? Uh, or do you think inflation will stay, you know, somewhat sticky and it cause the Fed to have to be more aggressive in terms of raising its rates and having, therefore, more negative impact on growth? We are in the more former camp, but in some sense, if we want to sort of say, like, really, what is the distinction between us and, and among investors, it comes down to what is your view essentially on inflation and what does this mean for the Fed's policy response, and then what does it mean for for growth? Uh, and I think that's really the debate as we head into next year. And it'll take some time before we get to the clarity on which of those directions we go into. So sticking with the Fed for a moment, just to interject some breaking news, the White House has confirmed that President Biden will renominate Jerome Powell to serve as Fed chairman. So based on how the futures are responding, the market seems to like the continuity. Wanted to throw that in there for our listeners, though, Jason, thinking about that backdrop of strong global growth that you just shared with us, what factors might disrupt the pace or the trajectory of growth or yield any market volatility? Our listeners might recall recently on the snapshot, you spoke about some notable tailwinds and headwinds top of mind for you. Can you provide us a bit of a refresher? Yes, just quickly on the Fed first, your comment. Um, I think, the, you know, the marketing likes continuity. So reappointing Powell just takes one additional sort of you know, risk off the table for the market, at least in the near term. Uh, so I think that's, that's something that is, is comforting just to, to kind of get that you know, continuation. In terms of, then, of your question regarding you know, the, the kind of the factors that could disrupt this kind of growth outlook. You know, there's, there's a few things that are kind of obvious. You know, one is just inflation continues to stay elevated and doesn't moderate, you know, as, as you know, we would expect. Uh, and this could happen because some of the supply chain problems don't start to alleviate, you know, by, you know, certainly later in the first quarter, the second quarter, but they persist throughout much of the next year. Uh, the labor market could be tighter than we anticipate. So the number of people who choose to come back to work, the labor force participation, you know, may end up staying relatively low, uh, and therefore we get to sort of full employment, you know, early on, and that will lead to, again, the Fed to, you know, to be a little bit more aggressive. Um, there's also the risk of, uh, you know, consumption patterns and spending patterns not sort of normalizing, uh, largely due because of lingering COVID concerns. Uh, and we've just seen even over the past week what's happened in Europe as cases have risen. We've seen so far sort of targeted lockdowns in some cases, uh, and lockdowns that are being more targeted towards unvaccinated individuals. But it does show you that uh, you know, the pandemic is not over, and, and even though the market has been sort of pricing in, essentially this is no longer much of a risk, it still is, and that could be a sort of headwind into the growth outlook for next year. And then another factor is what happens within China. Uh, you know, the growth has been slowing this year. There is a possibility that you know some of the internal dynamics of what's going on with their property market could lead to a more significant slowdown into next year. 
along with other issues in terms of geopolitics vis-a-vis the U.S. or Taiwan could be a negative for, for China. So there's no shortage of issues that could go wrong, uh, but the key one really is on the inflation outlook, uh, whether that moderates or not, and what does it mean for the Fed. I think if that doesn't play out, I think everything else becomes a bit of a secondary story uh, in terms of you know, negatives for a relatively benign economic outlook in that case. And you pointed out inflation as a marquee risk, and I know that ties into some concern over the U.S. dollar, though. Within the year ahead piece, you, you talk about CIO's outlook for the U.S. dollar, of course, being mindful of the monetary policy picture that you painted for us, coupled with fiscal policy as well. I know right now in Washington, D.C., it remains very fluid. Uh, We're tracking the progression of the Build Back Better plan. But can you speak to CIO's outlook for the U.S. dollar in the first half of 2022, Jason? Well, we expect the dollar to appreciate. uh, And in in fact, it already has just in the past about two weeks. Uh, The dollar is up kind of on a kind of broad basis around two and a half percent. Uh, and really, the drivers behind this is the expectation that we're going to get, you know, Fed tapering and then potentially going to rate hikes later next year, uh, combined with kind of slowing global growth, all sequel that kind of favors a stronger dollar. In particular, it's the divergence between what we're seeing, say, from the Fed in terms of moving more towards withdrawing kind of accommodation, becoming a little bit more you know, hawkish in its policy approach, versus what we see in you know, other central banks, such as the, you know, the ECB. In Europe, you know, the Swiss uh, National Bank, uh, the Japanese and uh, the Bank of Japan, all been relatively dovish, keeping policy very accommodative, potentially doing QE through all throughout next year. So rate hikes aren't even on the table at all for next year, and maybe even not 2023. So those currencies where central banks are looking to tighten, you know, the, and the Fed is, is one example, but also the Bank of England is another, those currencies should benefit. Um, and that's kind of what's been moving you know, the dollar recently, and we think that trend is going to continue. If it moves a lot in the very near term, that could already be some, you know, kind of a factor in terms of uh, pulling forward some of the, you know, the increase. So if it gets strength in the next six weeks through year end, uh, you know, then that might already what we anticipated to happen in the first half of next year. That might already materialize, and you could start to see a bit of moderation. But the direction of travel for the dollar, we still believe, is, is upwards and, and higher. Tying this all into asset allocation and accounting again for the macro backdrop, the expectations you shared with us a few moments ago, what areas, asset classes are expected to benefit from the macro outlook you have shared with us? Well, we think ultimately the, the winners of kind of this global growth story uh, are going to be the winners in the in the next in the six months or so. Uh, and these are the ones that benefit from growth still being above trend, inflation moderating, and central banks still being relatively accommodative. So within sectors that include you know, financials and energy in the U.S., uh, but also includes mid-cap equities outside of the U.S. that would entail you know eurozone equities, you know Japanese equities, which tend to be very tied to the global economic cycle. Uh, also, commodities continue to do well. We still see more upside in both the price of oil as well as industrial metals. Uh, again, benefiting from you know kind of the, the strong kind of above-trend global growth. So we think that's sort of the where you want to be positioned, certainly right now as we head into 2022. But I think we have to recognize that it is a year to have. And so the playbook as we move you know, further in would likely to change. Uh, not necessarily get defensive, but less, less sort of pro-cyclical, less kind of oriented towards this you know, recovery. So an area that we like is a sector that it sort of gives the benefits of, of both is healthcare. Uh, it has attributes of being a little more defensive, uh, a little more value-oriented. It does have kind of growth elements, so it, it, it you know, checks a number of boxes that makes it attractive as an alternative to you know, some of the, the things that I just alluded to, as opposed to getting too defensive at this point in time. That may be the right strategy at some point, but I think that's just too soon to 
actually going to move shift away from this in the beneficiaries if we think of this kind of global growth dynamic right now. So, Jason, I know, and this is sticking with asset allocation, though we have spoken about alternatives as a diversification strategy to protect portfolios against any turbulent period. So specific to alternatives, Jason, what might be some considerations when it comes to this more unconventional allocation play? Well, as we think about alternatives, like where did it in the portfolio? What role are they playing? And you alluded to diversification. A lot of it comes down to the fact that you know, bonds become less attractive in a world where interest rates are still very low, and even real interest rates, given inflation, is they're even even lower. Uh, and if rates are likely to rise, as we think they're going to, going to, they become less sort of attractive as a diversifier. So it's really thinking about what can substitute for more conventional fixed income in the portfolio uh, in a situation where rates are likely to rise, and there could be more sort of volatility in the bond markets. And therefore, as a result, they give you more volatility in the portfolio as opposed to diversifying. So within some more conventional fixed income, uh, things that are kind of less rate sensitive or actually benefit from, from rates going higher, at least on a relative basis, are attractive. So senior loans are something that we like and continue to like you know, for that reason. Uh, another strategy that's sort of a more conventional would be kind of covered call writing strategies, meaning you sort of you know, write call options on stocks that you already own. You sell them, you sell the call options, so you get the premium. Uh, it allows you to generate income, and it takes advantage of the fact that volatility right now is, is kind of you know elevated in that regard. Um, also looking then maybe to private markets, to be private credit, to give you another source of return that has incremental pickup and yield relative to what you can get at public markets. Uh, and then you can get into sort of longer-term plays within the private space, whether it is you know the private equity, uh, you know private real estate, but also hedge fund strategies that can provide some sort of diversification, uh, again, with a little bit more attractive return properties than you're going to get from fixed income. So all of it kind of comes down to ways in which you can generate income and diversification relative to conventional fixed income, which right now just doesn't look very attractive. Well, Jason, very productive conversation to kick off the week. Thank you very much for dropping by top of the morning to share with us the Chief Investment Office's year-ahead outlook for 2022. A lot here to follow up on. Looking forward to seeing how market macro conditions evolve and having some follow-up conversations, though. Jason, thank you again for the time and insight today. Appreciate it, as always. Well, thank you, Dan, and happy Thanksgiving. Likewise, Jason. Happy Thanksgiving to you as well. And again, today we've been joined by Jason Dreho, Head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. As a reminder to our clients and our listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office does author a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. These resources can all be located on UBS.com forward slash CIO, including the full year ahead, a year of discovery publication suite. So for clients of UBS, please contact your financial advisor to learn more or if you would like to receive a copy of the year ahead publication directly. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. 
UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.